after so plain a declaration as the foregoing, is it possible to admit that the religious world and its rulers are of God, and worship him in spirit and in truth? That the spirit of the truth is formative of their systems, or that its worshippers are his sons? Nay, verily, its formative spirit is that of Antichrist, which is discerned in their love of the world and of the things which are in the world, a love which is earnestly deprecated by the apostles of Christ. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But are not the people's spiritual guides devoted to the world? Are they not the world's hired servants? Are they not them whom the world delights to honour? Are not their flocks perfect incarnations of all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? all of which, the Apostle testifies, is not of the Father, but is of the world. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. The affirmative to these inquiries is alone admissible, and the apostolic principles clearly determine that the ecclesiastical system, in its totality of names, denominations, churches, reverend orders, institutions and worshippers, is of the devil and not of God. We therefore verily believe that when the reality of things is vindicated in the apocalypse of the sons of God, when his glory shall be apocalypsed in them, and when the captain of their salvation as a light for an apocalypse of nations shall appear, we believe that when this shall come to pass, he will say to the flocks and shepherds of the religious world, as he said to the same class in Judea, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will to do. He was a manslayer from the beginning, and stood not in the truth, because truth is not in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own things, for he is a liar, and the father of it. He that is of God heareth God's words, but because ye are not of God, therefore ye hear them not. If we are to judge a tree by its fruits, what other conclusion is it possible to come to? The pious of the world are adepts in all the lusts of the flesh. They do not stand in the truth, which is an offence to them. When they speak, they lie against the truth, and speak of their own conceits. They do not hear, or believe, and obey the words of God, and therefore the conclusion is inevitable that they are not of God, and therefore of necessity of the devil. This is also manifest from another consideration. If the ecclesiasticism of Christendom were the worship of God in spirit and in truth, the poor in this world, rich in faith, would be the notables, revered and beloved by the rich, who would rejoice in emptying themselves of their glory and honour, that they might be exalted in due time. But the reverse of this is the fact. Mammon reigns in church as well as state, and the members of the one are the ambitious and brawling politicians of the other. All this is of the flesh, or sin incarnate, which is the devil.
Now the mission of Jesus is to destroy the devil and the works of the devil. Hebrews 2, 14, 1 John 3, verse 8. And we have already seen that the Gentiles are to come to him after his apocalypse and to confess that what they now cherish is only lies, vanity, and unprofitable. They will then acknowledge that their denominations are works of the devil, and as such they will rejoice in their abolition and glorify their destroyer. The whole system now existing is a monster iniquity, which only awaits the apocalypse of the sons of God for its disruption and utter annihilation. Another place in Paul's writings where he uses this noun in a notable manner is in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7. He there tells his persecuted brethren that God will recompense to them a rest with us, Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, in the apocalypse of the Lord Jesus from heaven, with angels of his power, in fire of flame, inflicting vengeance on those who know not God and who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus anointed, who shall suffer punishment, aeon destruction, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he shall come to be glorified with his saints and to be admired with all the believers in that day. In the next chapter, verse 8, he informs the reader that a certain power would exist contemporary with the apocalypse of that day, which should be wasted and destroyed. He styled it the lawless one, whom, says he, the Lord shall consume by the spirit of his mouth and destroy by the manifestation of his presence. In writing to the faithful, Peter also directs their attention to the apocalypse of Jesus Christ as the time when their faith should be found unto praise and honour and glory. He exhorts them to hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought in the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And in a third place of the same epistle he says, Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that in the apocalypse of his glory ye may be glad also, leaping for joy. First Peter 1 verses 7 and 13 and chapter 4 verse 13. It must be evident then to all who have examined the testimonies adduced that apocalypse in the New Testament use of the word is not used indefinitely or vaguely importing merely a disclosure or uncovering of ideas previously concealed but that it has a special and appropriated signification, a doctrinal meaning peculiar to itself, teaching, one, the introduction of a day, styled the day of apocalypse, two, the manifestation in that day of a light for the apocalypse of nations, three, the inflicting of vengeance and punishment on the lawless and disobedient in that day. 4. The personal appearance of Jesus Christ as the light of the day of wrath and apocalypse. 5. 
the manifestations of the sons of God by resurrection from among the dead, and glorification with Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of salvation in the last time. For the things indicated in these points, the believers who received their enlightenment through the personal labours of the apostles waited and earnestly longed, as they have also, who in succeeding ages and generations have been instructed in the truth by their writings in connection with those of Moses and the prophets. With believers of this class, the question uppermost in their minds has ever been, O Lord, how long? How long, O Elohim, shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy despise thy name for ever? How long, O Yahweh, wilt thou hide thyself for ever? Return, O Yahweh, how long? How long are thy servants to wait for thy return? How long, O Yahweh? How long shall the wicked exult? Psalm 74, verse 10, 89, verse 46, 90, verse 13, and 94, verse 3. Isaiah had a vision of the Adam, the I shall be of armies, sitting upon his throne at a time when the whole earth shall be full of his glory. Mine eyes, says he, have seen the king, the Yahweh of armies. At the same time, he heard a declaration announcing a punishment to be inflicted upon the tribes of Israel, because they would not understand and perceive the truth in the day of the king's visitation. Fatness of heart, heaviness of ears, and blindness were to come upon them, as at this day. So long as it continued, the earth's fullness of glory would be deferred. The prophet was greatly afflicted at this, and exclaimed, Woe is me, for I am cut off, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Then said I, Adon, how long? Chapter 6 after two hundred years afterwards. The same inquiry was made in the hearing of Daniel, and in effect by Daniel himself. The long night of Israel's darkness foreseen by Isaiah to come upon them after the rejection of Yahweh's messenger, who was to go and say to them, Ye hear in hearing, but do not understand, and ye see in seeing, but do not perceive, Matthew 13 verse 13, is characterised in Daniel by the absence of sacrifice, the desolation of the land, and the dispersion and oppression of the nation. Chapter 8, verses 11 to 13, and verse 24, chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, and chapter 12, verse 7. It had been revealed to Daniel that a powerful and indestructible kingdom should be set up by the God of heaven, which should consume and destroy everything that stood up against it, that the Son of Man and the saints should possess it with dominion over the whole earth, and that then power should be restored to the Hebrew nation, which should never again be broken. But before all this could begin to come to pass, 
he saw a long period of affliction would obtain. It was therefore desired to know when it should terminate, as terminate it must before the glory can be apocalypsed or revealed. How long, then it was asked, shall the little horn of the goat practice and prosper against the Holy Land and the host of Israel? For this is, in effect, the question of the thirteenth verse. How long till the arrival of the period when the holy shall be avenged? Nitzdak Kodesh. The answer to this question, only bringing the inquirer to the period in which the vengeance is to be developed, it was still desired to know further how long to the end of the wonders to be developed in the time of the end. The answer was by the specification of a period and an event. For a time, times and a half. This is the duration of the period, constituting the latter portion of what Jesus Christ terms the times of the Gentiles, during which Jerusalem and the saints were to be trodden underfoot. Luke 21 verse 24 and symbolised in the Apocalypse by the court which is without the temple, given to the Gentiles for forty and two months, chapter 11, verse 2. The event that marks the end of the period is the restoration of Israel, which is thus expressed, When he, Michael the great prince that liveth for the Aeon, shall have finished the scattering of the power of the holy people, All these times shall be finished. But still, the question admitted of repetition. True, in the time of the end, and at that crisis of it, when the king of the north, as the imperial horn of the Grecian goat, shall be broken with an end of power, by Michael, in standing up to deliver Israel, the time, times, and a half shall conclude. But then, How long, said Daniel, to the end of these? They shall end at the delivering of Israel. But how many years from Daniel's time shall it be to that redemption? The rejoinder which Daniel received to the question, How long to the end of these? is remarkable. He was not informed how long. He was told instead to go and the reason given for telling him to depart in ignorance of the end of the times was that the words were sealed up and closed till the time of the end. The words of a book sealed up and closed could not be read. Daniel declares that he did not understand. He did not understand the times of the winding up of the visions he had seen. He did not understand when the stone would smite Nebuchadnezzar's image, nor when the saints would break the power of the little horn and take the dominion under the whole heaven. He did not understand when, or in what year of the world's age, Michael should deliver Israel and raise the dead. I heard, says he, but I understood not. The answer to the question, how long, was still deferred. Daniel, however, 
did not depart in despair. He was told that the daily sacrifice should be taken away to make room for a desolating abomination or power which should prosper for 1290 years and that 45 years after that period should close many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth should awake to the life of the olam or aeon and that then he should arise to his inheritance the apocalypse revives this ancient question in chapter 6 verse 10 in this place those in christ slain for the word of god and for the testimony they held being many are represented as crying with a loud voice saying how long o despotes holy and true dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell upon the earth in answer to this appeal they were told that they must rest yet a little while and in the 18th chapter we find the little while in its allegorical allusion fulfilled in the avenging of the saints upon the apostasy in the judgment of the great harlot by whom all the nations have been intoxicated and deceived from what has been hitherto presented we presume that the reader will have discerned that the great question generated in the minds of those who believed the gospel preached by the apostles was what are the times and the seasons and what the signs indicative of the appearing of jesus christ in his kingdom and glory the apocalypse we would remark was communicated for the purpose of imparting information to the servants of god in relation to the times seasons and signs which till then were reserved with the father being herein revealed they are expected to study it that they may be able to discern the signs of the times as they arrive that when the great crisis comes they may not be taken by surprise to assist them in this is the object of this volume which we commend to their scriptural and critical examination as we proceed